So this morning, we are continuing our series, I Love My Church, and I'm going to be talking about something I know that you all love to hear me talk about, and that is giving. Yeah, thank you. There you go. See? At least I have one person who's excited. (laughs) Thank you, Deb. (laughs) Uh, Here's the thing. We seldom talk about it in the church, and honestly, and I'm being sincere, I apologize for that, because this is such an important part of your spiritual maturity, understanding why we give, understanding the biblical foundation for giving is so, so significant to our spiritual maturity. Um, I was told um, early in my Christian walk, and I've been told since then, that you can judge the health of a church by how much they give. And I kind of agree with that. But I more agree with the reality of you can judge the health of a church, not only how much they give, but how many people in the congregation are actually giving. That's that's real spiritual health. How many people in the body of Christ are giving? And if you go by the, even the, both of those criteria, I, I would say that we're doing very well, that we're a healthy church. Uh, God is blessing us. Um, 2019 was probably our best year ever outside of a capital campaign. I'm not even sure if it wasn't the best ever within a capital campaign year. But um, that's very exciting to me, and I am I'm just pleased about that. And I'm gonna, I want to share something to rejoice about. Um, in 2019, because the giving was so strong, we, were, we, had two, we have two mortgages. We have a larger mortgage and a smaller mortgage. But the smaller mortgage is expensive uh, yearly to pay off. But we were able to literally pay that smaller mortgage off in 2019 without a capital campaign, without, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It just shows that God is blessing our church with health. And so that was really exciting um, for us to be able to do. It saved us about, about $40,000 a year, um, which is significant. Okay? And over the, le- the life of that loan, uh, that's, that's an awful lot of money. So I want to kick off this morning, this sermon, um, with my favorite tithing story. Okay, this is, this is Pastor Jeff's favorite tithing story. There was two men, and they were um, shipwrecked on an island in the middle of the ocean. And so the first man was pacing back and forth on the island. It was a very small island, you know, and he's pacing back and forth, and he's talking. Oh, oh, he was so worried. He was overwhelmed. He was frightened. Um, and, and, And the other guy, though, first he was out, like, sunning himself, kind of relaxing, and then he sat underneath a, a, a coconut tree and he was drinking the coconut. He cracked it open and drinking coconut milk. And the first guy's like, what, what is wrong with you? Don't you realize that we're going to die? Okay? This is a small island. There's no fresh water. We're, 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 we're going to die. I don't understand why you're so calm and just sitting here relaxing under this coconut tree. Aren't you, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you terrified? And the first guy said, no, nah, not really. And I said, well, why, why wouldn't you be afraid? He goes, listen, I make $100,000 a week. He said, that's not that. No, listen to me. I make $100,000 a week. And I tithe faithfully to my church every single week. He sat back and said, my pastor's going to find me. <laughs> I'm like, booyah, that's a good, that's exactly right, man. That is exactly right. Your pastor will find you. 
in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, it says this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church uh, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts... What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Philippian Christians had learned the secret of joyful giving. They gave from their hearts to Paul. The church in Philippi raised resources, raised money, and they gave that money to Paul, who was in prison at this time because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul wrote back to the church just expressing his joy. I mean, it was this overwhelming joy, not just in the fact that he received what he needed, if you will, But the fact that this church was willing to sacrifice, this church had not forgotten him while he was in prison. When you were in prison, if people didn't come and give you food, you died. It's not like the United States back then, okay? It wasn't three square meals a day. If you, if someone didn't come visit you while you were in prison, you ended up dying. So Paul is saying, I rejoice in the, the gift. I also rejoice in the fact that you are giving this gift because now you will be blessed. It will be credited to your account. It brings joy to his heart. In 2 Corinthians 9-7, it reminds us when it talks about giving. Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever considered that giving brings joy into your life? <clears throat> that when you give, you bring joy. You are, you are receiving joy. God will bring joy and contentment and peace into your life. I think too many people, when it comes to giving in the church, think of it as an obligation or just a discipline. It's just a discipline. I don't think about it. I just, it's an obligation. It's just, it's like going to the dentist, right? You gotta go, right? You gotta give, you gotta give, you gotta, you gotta go to the dentist. It's an obligation. 
It's not something we find joy in doing sometimes. Many people, that's their, that's their mindset. They don't consider it a joy. Now, some people are thinking, oh, help me out here, Pastor. How, how does giving bring joy and contentment into your life? How does, how does giving make you happier? How does giving bring peace into your life? Well, let me share five ways that we can learn from this text that we just read. Five ways that you can find joy in your life. Number one, giving helps me become other person centered. Giving helps me, helps you, helps us become other person centered. In verse 10 it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. The word, the word, the, the word renewed in this verse, okay, um, Picture something, you renewed your concern for me. It's the picture of something that was dead and has now been brought back to life. For example, in the wintertime, it looks like the trees or it looks like the plants are dead. Okay, they're dormant, they're barren. Right? You look at the tree and see right through it, there's nothing on there. But then all of a sudden, there's a renewal. Spring comes and the, and the trees burst out with leaves and the flowers are blooming. And it's like this, this, renew, this renewal, if you will. The word sometimes is translated revived. Okay? You, your, your, your concern has been revived. The idea here is the Philippian church had kind of faded a little bit from their concern for Paul. But then now with this financial gift, their concern has been renewed for his situation. And he's excited about that, not just for himself. Paul, Paul was a unique individual. Like Paul's the guy who says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul's not really too concerned about his circumstances. But he's very concerned about the church and their heart and their concern for others and their their desire to give. And what it means when someone is willing to sacrifice their resources and to give their financial resources to someone or some organization or church, whatever it is, that that expresses spiritual maturity. And so Paul's looking at this and saying, this is, a, this is great. I can tell just by the fact that they're giving financially that the church is healthy and spiritually mature because immature, unhealthy churches and people don't give anything at all. So he knows that if they're giving, if they're sacrificing, then most likely the other areas of the church are going strong as well. When I share what I have... It takes the focus off of me and it puts the focus on the other person. When I have a heart to give, the focus comes off of me and goes on to other people. One of my favorite authors is Diedrich Bonhoeffer and he wrote this. And listen to his words. They're simple and you can memorize them. Earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. Earthly goods are given by God to be used, not to be collected. There's nothing wrong with having a savings account. There's nothing wrong with a 401k. But what God is saying is, I'm giving you these resources not just to be collected for yourself, but to be used in order to invest in the lives of others. Because when you do that, it renews your concern for the people that you're giving to. For example... When you give, when you're a child sponsor, 
when you give, it, it, it strengthens your concern for that child. I know some of you took some of the, 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 the kids' pictures off the wall and you went and you started sponsoring that child. If you've taken a picture and not sponsored them, please do that. Please remember to do that. We want to do that as a church. But what it does, it renews your love, your compassion, it strengthens it, it deepens it. When you start sponsoring a child, and that that child starts writing you notes and letters and thanking you and saying, I'm doing well in school and I wasn't feeling very well this month because I got sick. And you're you're like, whoa, 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 my child's sick? What what needs to happen? Do you need more resources? Like my, my sponsored child is really no longer, in a sense, my sponsored child. He's like, he's my son. And so last time I was with him, I said, you understand, because he has no family. He has a horrible story. I'll tell you details some other time. But he has no family. He has no village. He has no tribe. And when you're in Nigeria with no family, village, tribe kind of thing, you're hurting. Okay, long term. You, you, that's a part of your psyche. It's a part of who you are. It's part of your identity. And I told him, you are in our clan now. You're a part of our clan forever. We have your back. You're a part of us. Brought a picture of the entire family, all the grandkids, laid them all out. This is your nephews, this is your nieces, this is your brother, this is your two sisters, this is your mom. This is... And so he calls me dad, calls Deb mom. He has sisters and brothers. Even though he's miles and miles away, he's a part of why. Because And when he, I ask him, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? What do you need? I'm even thinking, we're even thinking as a family long term. How do we take care? What my point is, when you engage in giving to someone, when you sacrifice and give resources, financial resources to someone, when you give of yourself, when you give of your love, it strengthens your concern, your compassion for that person. Giving is a tangible way to express your love for them. It just is. It's a very specific, tangible way that you can show that you love someone. When we don't have a heart to give, our focus remains on us. Just on us. I I, I remember um, when I talked this whole idea of giving and tithing, and I wasn't speaking about it at all, but I remember years ago, years ago, um, I walked out and we were standing outside in a nice spring day, and a young man, 21, 22, 23, um, just graduated from college, and, and he had the urge, for some reason, to tell me his view on tithing. And so he said, let me, let me, let me run something by you. He said, that, um, he said what, my plan is that I want to build up my resources, my portfolio. And he said, I want to make sure that I'm in a financially stable position. Once I've laid out my portfolio and once I get into a strong financial position and I have financial stability, then I'll begin to tie. Then I'll begin to give. What do you think? And I said, I don't think you're ever going to give because you're never going to have enough. It's never going to be enough. So what do you mean? I said, for you, if, if, unless, you, unless you begin when you have little, unless you begin to ha- make a sacrifice in your own heart and say, this is something I desire to do, it doesn't matter how much you have, you just give because that's what God has called you to do. So, no, I, 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 I don't think you will because you're gonna, you, you'll never, you will never seem to have enough. You'll never seem to have enough. Let me read you another story. 
There's a wise elder in a village who wanted to help a young man who was who inherited great wealth from a relative, but struggled with helping others in need. The elder led the man to a window in his house and he said, look out onto the street. He said, tell me, tell me what you see when you look out this window. The man replied, I see people. I see lots of people. I see people in need. I, I see people that you know, look like they're struggling. I, I see people just going about their lives. I see people. The elder then led the man to a mirror and said, now tell me what you see. And the man said, I see myself. And the elder explained that a mirror is a piece of glass that has been covered with silver. He explained, no sooner than a little silver is added, you cease to see others and can only see yourself. I thought, that's a good story. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, let's just be honest here. Um, the moment we... When I, was, when I was a younger believer, I, I, I'm not going to tell this story, but I grew up in a, like a really poor with my mom, one-bedroom apartment in New York, low income, the whole thing, you know, that whole nine yards. And when I became a Christian, I was on fire for Jesus, man. I was just, you know, I went from darkness to light. I got saved. I got saved. And so I was all over. I was serving. I was doing all these things. And, and the, but the one thing I struggled with was giving. And the reason I struggle is because I didn't have anything growing up. And so when I started getting something, I always thought, well, I just, I just, need, to, I just need to make sure I'm stable, I'm secure, I'm like the young man. I just need to make sure that my family say, I got to make sure, I got to make sure. I made all these kind of excuses in my mind why I didn't give very much. I gave some, but I didn't, there was no sacrificial giving there at all. And then God, I won't go into the details, but God clearly spoke to me and set me straight. And once he spoke into my heart and he set me straight from that time on, never been a problem for me. But I say, once you get a little silver right on the glass, all you can see is yourself. And what we want to do is that when we start to give, it renews our concern for others, for other people. Number two. Giving teaches us contentment. Now, I'm not going to go into this one very long at all, because about a month and a half ago, we spent an entire service. I preached a sermon on this passage, so we're not going to spend too much time on it here. Paul didn't want the church, though, to think that, um, that money is what mattered to him, and it was the money, he needed more money in order to be joyful or content or peaceful, have peace or any of those things. He wanted to make sure they understood that he was content with whatever God had given him at that, at that, in that season of his life. In that season of his life, he wanted to make sure that they understood that. He learned to be satisfied with wherever he was, whatever God had given to him. He had joy in his life. Here's the thing. Paul wanted them to know he had joy in his life, not because his pockets were full, but because his heart was full with his love for Jesus Christ. Paul, this is very important. This is, this is one of those, if you can grasp it, it will change your life. Paul, for Paul, Christ was everything. Christ was everything. And he found his contentment in him alone. Here's, 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 here's what he's saying to the church. I find that Christ is sufficient to meet all of my needs. Jesus Christ is sufficient 
Okay, We sing about it, we talk about it, we read about it, but we don't always live it out. Paul was saying, Christ Jesus is sufficient to meet all of my needs. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. There's nothing wrong, my friends, with being rich. If you're working hard, if you started a business, if you're working whatever, and you become, that's, that's okay, nothing wrong with that. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Don't let it control you. Don't get to the point where, oh, I'll, I'll really start to give when I, when I get to this. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What that means is that He is sufficient. God is sufficient to meet All of my needs. Contentment. Contentment means living with the knowledge that Christ, that Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet all of my needs. Let me say that again. This is is really, really important. Contentment means living with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet all. All of my needs, all of them, God will meet my needs. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So I can give, I can give. This is why Paul was excited when they started giving to him. I can give joyfully knowing that my God is sufficient and will meet all of my needs. Here's the thing. Why do you think he was excited? Because he realized that only people who are spiritually mature recognize that Christ is sufficient and that's why they're able to give. So he knew the church was healthy because the giving was a reflection of the health of the individual and the spiritual health of the church. Number three. Giving allows me the privilege, and this is a a good one, okay? Giving allows me the privilege of becoming a partner in ministry. I become a partner in ministry. When the church at Philippi gave Paul those resources, Paul says in verse 14, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. It was good for you to participate, to share in my troubles. The word share is the same word that's often translated fellowshipping. Okay, The word actually means to partner. It's a partnership. And this is so amazing. Each time we invest, we choose to invest in God's work, our, our, we end up partnering with other believers, other Christians, for example, missionaries, we end up partnering with them in building the kingdom of God. And that's what God wants to see, us partnering together. And through that partnering, we get more excited because when we partner with someone, you may not be a missionary, you may not be whatever, but then you financially partner with that person and you become a part of what they're doing. And that should breed excitement. It really should make you like you get fired up over it knowing what you've been able to do your resources are helping that person impact other people's lives give you an example Last week, we had our, we, we've been celebrating our 20th of the last month and a half now. We're going to keep going. But we celebrated our 20th. We had a big kind of celebration. That's why those balloons are out there. You got to see the pictures over here, that church that we, that we put together and all the pictures up there from the, from the last 20 years. Really, really cool. And I'll show, we'll show the video again sometime in the next couple of months or so because the video over the last 20 years is really, really good. But so we got together last week and we were talking about what God has been doing in our church the last 20 years 
believers and what God has been doing in Nigeria and other places around the world, we focused on Nigeria. And we talked about the business trees that we were building and all these things. And I had gotten an email from one of the missionaries, Clay, um, and it was talking about um, how the, some of the ministry that they want to implement when it comes to the medical side of things. So in the middle of the sermon, I said, hey, listen, they need about 5,000 bucks. Let's just put this to bed. This is 5,000 to get this ministry started, to get the resources they need, to buy the materials they need, the equipment they need to get this started. Let's just take care of this, okay? And we, we got a, a really good response last week. People participated. So I got on the phone this week and called Clay and said, hey, Grace Chapel has your back. We are in this 100% with you. Move forward. We have the resources to get us started. I want you to move forward. And Clay then let the other missionaries know. Christy Radcliffe was one of them. And so Christy Radcliffe wrote this email to me. She said, good morning, Jeff. Hope you are doing well. Clay reached out to me and let me know that you have already began raising money for the medical outreach in Kissia, exclamation point. Wow, exclamation point. That is amazing. Your funding will allow so many people that rarely receive any medical care to be ministered to in a unique way. The people in the village that I have had the privilege of working with, she's a nurse, well, working with so far, are extremely grateful for even small gestures like blood pressure checks. They're, they're like, they, they get so excited when someone is there and from a medical professional and gives them blood pressure checks. The medical outreach will provide things like malaria checks and treatment, deworming. The deworming, you think, deworming, what does that mean? Well, the kids would have the distended stomachs because of malnutrition. A lot of times it's not because they don't get enough food to survive. It's they have these parasites in their, in their bodies. And when they eat, the parasites consume all the nutrients in their bodies. So the kids don't get the nutrients. First aid, blood pressure screening, and hopefully vaccines as well. And we're going to take care of the vaccines, so not as well. We'll make sure that happens. We're in the beginning stages of planning the details, but it is so exciting to think about how this will impact the village of Kithiup. This is a tangible way we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then she goes on, uh, Clay also mentioned that you might be uh, taking a medical team coming and come here as well in October. Can you tell me more about that? I have some medical friends that I was hoping to bring over as well, and I would like to join efforts and collaborate on dates, the collaboration. Here's the other thing. I was talking to Clay on the phone before I got that email, and he was saying to me that a lot of babies are dying in childbirth. And he said, they die, they die. I said, well, how many babies? He said, no, not just the babies, the moms and the babies are dying in childbirth. And, and people he knows, not some story from a village far, far away. We're talking about people that he has a relationship with. These families are losing their moms and their, their children at the same time. And too many of them. So we have to come up with some prenatal issue. We've got to take, come up with some kind of prenatal care that we can start so that we're not losing moms and not losing children from things that are unnecessary. So those are the things that we're going to do. And we're, they're going to be sending us emails and we're going to be seeing pictures and we're going to be participating, going together if you'd like to be a part of that in October. And all of these things together, that creates a joyful heart. 
There's nothing, there is nothing. When, years ago, years and years ago, about maybe 10 years ago, I remember doing a medical mission trip to Nigeria, and we brought, I brought one doctor and a nurse, and my friends, this is no exaggeration. The word gets out when there's a nurse or a doctor that's available. The line stretched so far I couldn't see the end of it, okay, and it never went down. We couldn't see everyone. There were so many people. And I remember, I'll never forget, this, this changed my life in a lot of ways. This mom walked up with this seven, eight-year-old uh, child. And the kid, if the kid weighed 20 pounds, that, I'm exaggerating, okay? And she walked up, and his head was kind of larger, maybe because his body was just so emaciated. His little, he looked like bones. His, you could see his ribs, and he, he, just, he had no bottom to him at all. His legs were, and he, was just, he wasn't awake. He was, just, he was just laying like he was dead. And I, I thought to myself, this kid is not going to survive another couple of days, just maybe the next few hours. So we were able to take him to the hospital, and they gave him fluids, and the, the, little, the little boy survived. But these are the kinds of things that we're dealing with, but we get to participate. We as the body of Christ get to participate. So when we come back, and when you go, or if I come back with stories and I show you pictures, and you're saying, wait, I had a part in that. Because I give to my church, I had a part, I participated with these missionaries in what they're doing there. I, it made a difference for the lives of children. And I'm going to tell you something, when you stand before God in heaven, you say, well, we're going to talk about blessing in a minute or so but when you stand before God in heaven the Bible talks about when you give you will be blessed let me tell you the greatest blessing of all okay forget you forget what's going to happen on earth you're going to stand before Jesus Christ at some point and he's either going to be looking at you with a, a, a face of disappointment which I never want to see what disappointment looks like on Jesus face you're going to, he's going to have a look of disappointment on his face or he's going to come up to you and he's going to take your, 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 your face in his hands and he's going to say, thank you so much for, for saving my life. And you're going to say, Lord, what, what are you talking about? I, when, did I, when did I save your life? And he's going to say, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. I was emaciated. I was, I was passed out. I was about to die. And you cared enough to give me what I needed. And I lived and I went on and I was able to. And my life changed. And whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That is not, that's not some kind of, that's literal. Whatever we do for the least of these, we do for Jesus. We do it for him. That, that should be, honestly, that should be enough to motivate us to do the things that God has called us to do. Number four, giving adds, adds to our spiritual account, just like I was talking about. Giving adds to our spiritual account. Verses 17 and 18 continue. Not that I desire your gifts, but I desire, what I desire is that that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul made it clear again that he was not looking, okay? He was not looking for to gain spiritual, financial benefit from this. Because Paul is saying is, listen, the one who gives 
is blessed more than the one who receives. The phrase credited to your account implies that giving to the Lord is like investing in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, when you invest in the kingdom of God, it will pay dividends. Understand that. That's what Paul is saying. Credited to your account. I'm happy you're doing this, not because I now have more resources. I'm happy you're doing it because this will be credited to your account. When you invest in the kingdom of God... You will reap the benefits. It will pay spiritual dividends. Verse 18 tells that God is pleased when we give with the right motives, okay, with the right heart, with the right attitude for the right reasons. God is pleased with us. This language he uses is from the Old Testament. And here's what he's talking about. These sacrifices pleasing to the Lord. He's referring to the Old Testament here. And what he's saying is that when you give, when you give sacrificially to the Lord, it is, it is worshiping God. It is, it, is, it is giving worship to God, giving devotion to your God. He's reflecting back. So it becomes an act of when we give. I say this on Sunday mornings when we talk about, like, hey, if you would like to give, this is an act of worship. This is an act of worship. This is an act of devotion to God. That's why he's using this terminology. When we make a sacrifice to God, it should fill our hearts with incredible joy for all the reasons I just described. And here's the thing. The opposite is also true. We should be a little bit discouraged in our hearts when we don't do that. Because we're not receiving, we're not growing spiritually. We're not receiving all that we can receive from God. We're, we're, not, we're not participating in Christ's suffering. We're not participating in the lives of others. Do you know, in the general church, not ours, but in the general church, uh, 25% of the people give, give 75% of the resources. And you think, you know, oh, well, here, here's my point. That discourages me not because, oh, that's terrible. Why don't they give? It discourages me because how many of that, what does that mean when it comes to the people in those churches? How many people in the body of Christ are not being blessed by God the way they could be? How many people are missing out? That's extremely unhealthy. But how many people in the body of Christ are missing out on God's blessing? Fifth, and finally, giving produces growth in our spiritual lives. Giving produces growth in our spiritual lives. Verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I think one of the reasons people don't give is that they're worried they may not have enough money to meet their own needs or their own wants. But if they give, then they won't have enough money to, to meet their own needs. Many Christians sit at uh, the kitchen table and they go over their bills, and when they're done going over their bills, they look at it and say, I, don't ha- I have very little or none to give. And so what happens is, they, after considering all their current obligations, they don't see giving as a priority. And that's what it boils down to. It's not a priority or people can give. And I think about this all the time. In America, money is not like it is in other places. Okay? America, money's a choice. Even when I was dirt poor, money was a choice. It's a choice. 
It isn't like you're over there. You think that mother carrying that eight-year-old 20-pound child would allow her child to be 20 pounds and die if she had the ability to feed him? I've never met one person in Mason who ever walked around with an eight-year-old weighing 20 pounds and couldn't uh, get the resources to feed their child. I know we have needs here. We have a food pantry, and we take care of people. We take care of people home first, in the church, community. We do all those things. But it's a choice. It's a choice. So many Christians don't feel like it's an... They don't feel, they don't feel like it's a... Um, a priority to give because they have other obligations. And Paul, Paul's response to this, I think, is great because he ends up giving us this really cool promise. He gives us a promise. In verse 19, it encourages us to step out in faith and to give, to take a step of faith and to give, trusting that God will meet our needs. Here's what Paul does. First, he gets real personal. He says, my God, my God will meet your needs. Then he gets specific. My God will meet all your needs. Not some, not a few. He will meet all of your needs. So it's personal, my God. Then it's specific. He says, will meet all of your needs. Then he closes with the powerful statement, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He can take care of you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You don't have to worry. Christ is sufficient. God has it covered. You can give knowing that God will meet all of your needs. In Malachi 3.10 it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I know it has become popular. It's become popular. I've kind of read about this to give guarantees. Okay. The church will give guarantees that if you, if you give, then the church guarantees that certain things are going to happen. You do this, and we guarantee you this will happen. So, in other words, you give, and we guarantee that God will do this or that in your life, that God will bless you. And if He doesn't, if He doesn't, we'll give you your money back, no questions asked. Okay? Guarantees. Church gets. So I thought, because you know me, I love to jump on the bandwagon. So I thought, let's jump on the bandwagon. And I think that Grace Chapel should give guarantees, should give guarantees as well. So here are Grace, I guarantee you, all right, you have me on tape. So I'll follow through with this. I guarantee if you give to Grace, if you give to Grace Chapel, you're being obedient to and worshiping the God that you say you love and serve. I guarantee you that. It's a guarantee. I guarantee if you give to the church that you're following God's command. That's another guarantee I just gave you. I guarantee you're, you're, you are following God's command. And I guarantee that God will bless you, but I have absolutely no idea what that's going to look like in your life. Because here's the reality. God's definition of blessing and our definition of blessing sometimes are two different things. But I guarantee you that God is going to bless you. 
And if you are not satisfied, okay, if you're not satisfied after a few months, I guarantee we will not give your money back. Well, not at all. Guaranteed. But here, I'm going to keep going with the guarantees. But I guarantee that I will sit down with you and I will teach you the biblical definition of blessing and I will teach you the biblical definition of need. And I guarantee that you will grow to maturity in your spiritual life. Here's the deal, guys. We're all in this together. We can be healthier. We can be stronger. We can do more if we all participate. But here's the deal. I thought about this a ton. I want, I want giving in our church... That's the reason I don't preach on it a lot, because I always feel like, oh, I just watch people do it poorly, and, and I don't want to be a part of that. But here's what I do want to be a part of. I want to be a part of you giving from an, being intrinsically motivated to give. Not extrinsically motivated to give. I don't want to trick you. I don't want to... I don't want you crying. I want to show you a couple of videos and... Yeah, yeah. I just want you to be spiritually mature enough to know this is what God has commanded and called all of us to do. And if we're not doing it, we're not spiritually mature. So we need to make that, take that step of faith because more than anything else, when you begin to give, you realize that, wait, I'm mature enough to, to, to admit that Christ or, or to believe that Christ is sufficient to meet all of my needs. So I don't want you running to the offering box after you. You can if you like. But I don't want you to have to, you know, dig deep, brothers. No. Um, I need, that, I need that, 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 that towel, right? I need to get the towel out and just start. <clears throat> okay. But um, I would rather you take the time to sit back with your family, by yourself, whatever the case may be. Spend some time with the Lord, okay? And think about what you were just taught. Think about what I just taught you. This is spiritual truth. Our motivation to give should be out of our deep love and compassion and desire to to honor our God who's done, done so much for us. That we trust Him with our lives and we trust Him with our stuff. And when we get there, there's nothing that will be able to stop us, really. As we grow and mature more and more, it doesn't matter if we're not a church of 10,000. We can transform the world. God doesn't, I say this to you guys pretty often, but God doesn't need, need a mass of people to make a difference in the world. He just needs a remnant who are fired up, spiritually mature, know where they're going, and they believe that God can get them there. Let's be that remnant. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if in our church, like 90% of the people gave 100% of the money? Wouldn't that be great? That's where we want to be. But it needs to come. The giving that you have shouldn't come from pressure. It shouldn't come from guilt. It shouldn't come from any of those things. It should come from an intrinsic motivation that you have been saved by God that you're a child of God and that you want to do all the things that Paul's describing here and you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. Thanks for the opportunity that we have just to, to talk about these things. And God, I really pray with all my heart that no one in this church gives 
because they feel guilty. I, I just want people I want to give and I want others to give because of what, what they see happening in the church. That they realize that we're not about building our own kingdom but building your kingdom. People give because they see us willing to sacrifice things that maybe our church would want. And instead of getting the things that we would want, we sacrifice and give those resources to things where there is actual need. God, help us to be a church that shares. Help us to be a church that sacrifices. Help us to be a church that loves. Because when we, when we do, Lord God, we know, we know, and we may not know what it's going to look like, but we know that you're pleased, that you're happy, and that you'll bless. We love you, we thank you, we praise you for being a God who is worthy. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Love you all. Have a great week.